0: in the sense of greeting people and also helping seat people at times because uh, sometimes if everybody's up like this worshiping and you come in just a little bit late, you can't find a seat. And so it's, it, these men and women have volunteered to help us, and that's not all they do. That's just a couple of things that are important to us as well. And the last of the important announcements are, is that uh, next week is our annual business meeting, and that's going to be at 2 p.m., so now, I told you last week, I think I told you uh, before then, there is the annual church giving report, not record, your personal record came to you individually, either in the mail or email, but the church is for all the members. It's out on the table in the foyer, as well as with a letter from me that gives you a little bit of more information about the meetings, including the agenda. And so, I have to go ahead and tell you these three things real quickly. During that election, during that uh, meeting, there's going to be the election Of one deacon as one deacon has fulfilled his term and has to rotate off so we'll be filling that election number two there is a vote on the bypass property 14.41 acres that our church purchased in 2008 and there was a little bit of thought was to make sure that with this new church family that we have today wants to retain it and if this new church family does not want to retain it then it needs to be listed for sale and if uh, we want to retain it then we just express that in a vote uh, on that day and then lastly, I told you last week, is the church has an opportunity, if we so choose, to purchase two city lots that are to the east of the parking lot. So it's that slight wooded area with that little bit of a creek. It's not; They're not large. They're just city lots. But it would give our church an opportunity to have what they call as a green space with a little bit of a men's ministry workday and a few chainsaws and some cleanup Um a chain link fence could be installed, a picnic table or two could be tossed out there, and any group that's meeting at the church on a Wednesday or Sunday or any off-campus or any off-night could then have access to that green space. And sometimes that's a very important thing uh, for the children and especially the youth to have a little bit of a moment to go and sit out in, under God's creation. Amen? So that's, that's $16,000 is what I have negotiated as the acceptable price between me and I'm not necessarily a negotiator, but nonetheless, it worked out. And uh, oh, I started to say something, but I better not, i got to move on. So, all right, so thank you so much for being here today. My heart is heavy with the Word of God. If you're a visitor, God bless you for braving the elements to come out and be in service with us today. I have been in a series of messages that I thought that I was going to pause, but I did not, and it was from the, it was the journey of the children of Israel. It was originally, it was, um, about the word of faith that became the journey of faith for us, for me personally. I've been finding revelation in each particular passage, something the Lord has quickened in my heart that I felt very confident was a word for this assembly when I brought it to you, and I feel that way as well today. So I'm going to ask, if you would, to stand and honor the reading of Scripture. If you've got your Bible, we're going to go to number 16, and we're going to read five verses initially today. Amen? Amen. All right, I'm grateful for the presence of the Lord. That Prayer has already been prayed, that the presence of the Lord will continue among us, that we will not do or say anything to grieve him that would cause him to retract or withdraw his sovereign manifested presence. Come on, somebody. Amen. So Numbers chapter number 16, verses 1 through 4 says, Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, or Kohath. Son of Levi. And any of you that make fun of me when I try to read these names out, I can have a reader if you want me to, you know, spontaneous. So it's harder than what you think. So, Koath, the son of Levi, and Dathan, and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On. I, I like On, I can work with that easier. And the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. So, we move past the name, but the, the, the individuals are important because it's part of what we're going to talk about today. And they rose up before Moses with a certain of the children of Israel, two hundred and fifty princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, You take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then, lift you up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. It's a pretty strong accusation. And when Moses heard it, he fell upon his face. And we're going to pause because I'm going to elaborate the entirety of this chapter. And it would take us too long to read it in its entirety, so I'll just elaborate it. You can keep your Bible open when I do so so that you can vet me and make sure that I am not adding anything to the context. But we'll read one last verse of Scripture. It sets for us kind of a little bit of our path. It's the 40th verse. We're going to jump all the way to the 40th verse here. And it says to be a memorial. So we're in the 16th chapter still in the 40th verse. To be a memorial unto the children of Israel that no stranger which is not of the seed of Aaron come near to offer incense before the Lord. That he be not as Korah and his company as the Lord said to him by the hand of Moses. So I've omitted the majority of what takes place that I'm going to fill in in just a moment of time, but I'm going to leap ahead in time to a tag a title that won't make, won't make as much sense to you right now, but if you'll stay with me, there's a divine revelation that I've entered into, not that I was the first to discover it, I've entered into other men, women's labors, and at my heart was filled with faith, as I read uh, and studied yesterday in anticipation of this this sermon. So here's the title for us today. It's of the sons of Korah with a question mark. So of the sons of Korah, and I'm going to ask you to pray, to pray that your heart and mind would be prepared to receive, as the writer James says, the engrafted word. How many believe that God's word does not return to him void? You're not here by accident today. God gave you the courage and the strength, the stamina, if you will, to rise up and arrive at this house today to receive the word of God. And my heart is heavy with it today. I'm humbled in the Lord's presence. I feel um, strengthened by his presence, and I feel that he has given me a word to share with you. So let's pray in harmony and in agreement and ask the Lord to quicken this word. Father, I do pray in humility today amongst my church family that I'm so grateful to be their pastor and to be their uh, spiritual leader in one sense. And uh, Father, uh, today I do ask that you would make me as the oracles of God. And Father, I do remember that there is a psalm that is written that you would make, Father, my tongue, the pen of a ready rider. And I pray that you will do so again today, that you might script the truth of your word on the parchment of their heart. That all of us will receive this word. It will burn inside of us today. And we will, Father, walk in the strength that it provides. God, I thank you for these things. It's in Jesus' name. And all God's children said amen and amen. Thank you so much for your honoring of the reading of the word of God by standing. It is a tradition that we hold to and value here at First Assembly. So along this journey as we have been following the children of Israel... We have arrived at the base of the mountain where they were charged to enter into the promised land to take the land, but two weeks ago we, we went into the word of God that showed that when they sent out the spies, the spies brought back a negative report that spread like leaven amongst the people, and the people stumbled in unbelief. Does anybody remember this? And a people that had been destined to enter into the promises of God, enter into the promised land, and to take it. By God's supernatural power, as I have said many times because I'm quoting from the scriptures where they were to take cities they didn't build, they were to take houses they didn't build, and wells they didn't dig, and vineyards they didn't plant, God had supernaturally brought them brought and intended them to take them, but in unbelief they stumbled. They were destined for 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, and the wandering has commenced, so I don't know exactly the time and space from that moment to where we've arrived right here at this particular moment. We see this passage of scripture that tells us that there are at least four leaders of what I would call and you and I would call a rebellion. I dare say the word insurrection because that carries a lot of political connotations in America now. But with this we see this as rebellion in the eyes of God that these men that were named by name so there are 250 that were not named by name but four of which were named by name and that is Korah who is a Levite and Dathan and Abiram or Abiram something of that nature sons of Eliab and On who is the son of Reuben but let me describe the scripture gives you a little bit of detail back into the history of these men and these men again primarily are Levites Uh, but they're men of renown, the Bible says. They're not all Levites, but at least one. Uh, princes in the assembly. So these are leaders amongst the people. The Bible plainly says that they were famous in the congregation. And it tells us uh, of the narrative that on a fateful day, a fateful day, they rise up before Moses. And you've got to read this very carefully when you read those words because it's, it's provocative the way it's written. That they rose up before Moses challenging his leadership, gathering themselves together, the key word, against Moses and Aaron. They weren't just inquiring. They weren't just questioning the route or the means, but they were speaking against Moses and Aaron. Their accusation was noted in our text, Moses and Aaron, you presume too much for yourself. For all the congregation is holy. In essence, what they're saying is, that in their belief, that they others should have the right to access the presence of God, rather than just Moses and Aaron. In that presence of God, which would have been veiled in the holy place to a degree, and certainly in the most holy place in the tabernacle that was erected, and the and the children of Israel were camped around, as you and I know in this journey. So when. Uh, then I don't I don't know if I noted this, but I want to, I want you to see what Korah says to Moses. He accuses Moses, and be careful of the word accused, because how many of you know who is the accuser? So the acu- accusing Moses of bringing them out of a land of milk and honey. Do you know where they came from? They came out of Egypt. But how many of you know that's what the enemy can do? Is he can ma- he can portray things? Go back to the Genesis when he. He deceived Eve until something that she previously had saw as evil, she suddenly now saw it as pleasant. The children of Israel had grown because of the bondage of of Egypt. And now uh, Korah is saying, hey, that was our land of milk and honey, and you brought us out to die in the wilderness. And so Moses falls before the Lord in prayer, and that's where we concluded this passage here in the fourth verse. And now it's where I'm going to begin to describe for you the narrative that takes place so I can do so so we can all go somewhere. We're going somewhere here today. There's doctrinal content, but there's also personal application. And I'm telling you that if your heart is open before the Lord today, this word will burn in you. When, when, I, when I finish, if you will stay with me through the entirety of my sermon, when you walk out of this room today, there will be something that will stir in your heart that you will not soon forget. So in prayer, Moses then speaks to the men. And Moses, the Bible tells us that Moses is the meekest man on the face of the earth at this particular time. And he's humble before God. And Moses responds to the men, and, and he's especially to Korah, and he says, you are a Levite. And you were separated from the congregation. You had divine blessing and calling. God had chosen you from amongst the other tribes to to stand before the people and to minister to the people. But Moses, by divine revelation, tells us that their desire, he exposes their desire. He said, you're desiring the priesthood. You're not satisfied with what God's chosen you for, and you are desiring the priesthood. And then he even adds to this. He said, your murmurings are not just against Aaron, but you're really murmuring against God. How many of you know that's still applicable today to many of us? And so there was a, a means of which that God was going to use to show the people who was designated to come before him. Now, he will repeat this in a different means later that I'm going to address here just quickly. So, a censer of fire. censer of fire was chosen to designate who could come before the Lord. censer of fire would be typically handled by the priest. And so now, all of these men could come and bring a censer of fire. The 250 all gathered with a censer of fire. And they had fire from off the altar. They would have had coals, and they would have had incense on it. And they came before the Lord and the, at the front of the tabernacle. And when that happened, uh, Moses and Aaron was gathered there as well. And the supernatural glory of Almighty God came and settled into the tabernacle. And the glory of the Lord appeared to the people. And God, who is a righteous God, speaks a word to Moses. And he says, "Back up. I'm going to destroy the entire host of the people. And I, once again, Moses becomes the intercessor that he had been previously on Mount Sinai. And he intercedes before the people. And, and when he does, the Lord then tells Moses, he said, I want you to separate Korah, Dathan, and Ab- Abiram. And, and he, because he calls the rebellion. The Lord looks, and he doesn't call this an, uh, you know, an inquiry. The Lord says, this is rebellion against me. And he calls it, he calls it wicked in his eyes. And so Israel is charged to move away from the tents of these three men. And so so you got to picture this, that wherever their tent was, in their designated area, somewhere around the tabernacle, the people of Israel were charged by the authoritative voice of God speaking to Moses in the tabernacle. And Moses reflects it to the people or repeats it to the people that they're to move away from the tent. Because something supernatural is going to take place. As a matter of fact, Moses even said, if these three men die by the way of a natural death, then the Lord hasn't spoke to me. But if the Lord does something entirely outside of the order, you will know that God has rejected what these three men have approached you with. And suddenly, in that moment of time, the Scripture says that the earth literally opens up and swallows up the tents of those men. And after that, almost immediately then, fire comes down from heaven and consumes the 250 men that are involved in the rebellion. And then the Lord told Moses, he said, Moses, I want you to go and recover. Moses tells Aaron, go and recover those 250 censers that the 250 men that had come before the tabernacle with in their hands He said, go and recover them because they were hallowed before me and I want you to use them. And that's where we jumped ahead to the 40th verse. So they took those 250 censers from beside the the, the burnt carcasses of those men and they brought them back and they beat them together and shaped them into a covering for the brazen altar. So that when the children of Israel would see the covering, they would be reminded of this fateful day in which there was a rebellion before God, a rebellion before Moses and Aaron and his leadership, and that they would be reminded that only the priest was called to come into the presence of Almighty God. Now, but it wasn't over. So the next day, I'm telling you, this was a true rebellion. So the next day, now the congregation now, without the 250 plus four men... 250 men plus the four leaders. The entire congregation is gathered against Moses and Aaron. And they're accusing them of killing the men. And so with this, again, God speaks to Moses and the Lord's wrath is hot. And listen, I don't have, I don't have a problem telling you that God is a God of wrath. God will judge iniquity. And the moment that you get that right is the day that you'll repent. Right? Right? And so his his wrath is hot against the people. And once again, Moses falls down in intercession and pleads for the people. And he gets a word from the Lord. And the word from the Lord is to send Aaron to go out amongst the people with the censer as a representing intercession, sacred intercession amongst the people between God and man. And he burns the incense to protect the people. But before he can even get out there, a plague from the Lord has begun to spread and people are dying. And Aaron arrives and he intercedes. And here's what verse 48 said. It said, he stood between the living and the dead. He stood between the living and the dead on behalf of, 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 of the people and the plague was stopped. And before the plague was stopped, 14,700 people lost their lives on this fateful day, this rebellion. And so perhaps, in, uh, certainly in direct response, the story continues in the next chapter, the 17th chapter. And I'm not elaborating on it, but I'm going to tell you about it. Because it's a part of the bigger picture that I want you to see in a moment. So in order to confirm once and for all for the people that the priesthood belonged to Aaron of the sons of of Levi, the Aaronic priesthood would belong to him, and the Levites would be given to serve the priesthood. Moses told the men and the congregation, here's what we're going to do. He said, we're going to take a wooden, lifeless, dead rod, and we're going to put the name of every tribe on one rod, because there were 12 tribes. So we have 12 rods and we're going to take them into the holy place whether they went into uh, they actually would probably have went into the most holy place and lay on lay before the Lord and, and we're going to see if God will confirm who has the right to access the presence of God. And so they do that on one day and nothing takes place and the next morning Moses goes in and he brings out each of the rods one by one but when he brings out the rod Of Levi that had been inscribed with the name of Aaron on it. It's not a dead lifeless rod any longer that was just cut down and that had been, uh, you know, had been shaped into a rod. It has blossomed. It's sprouted. It's even got fruit on it, complete fruit on it. And it was an affirmation to the people that the supernatural power of God had chosen the priesthood of Aaron to stand before him. And in doing so, God was intending to thwart any additional rebellion of this nature. It's a very powerful, complex story, isn't it, church family? Uh, You won't get this talked about in a lot of churches, but you're going to get it here today. And so, there are many underlying truths in this account. Number one, the need for an intercessor. Thank God for Moses. Right? Or we wouldn't know anything about the Israelites. All we would know is about the Mosaites. Because God said, I'll destroy, I'll start fresh. God can start new if he chooses, amen? And, and, and then that's why the Bible warns us, he says, uh, if, if you continue in the faith. I won't even go there. So then also I see other things. I see perhaps a, an initial revelation of the New Testament principle of the priesthood of the believer. Could find a possibility of its root there. I also see a revelation of God's holiness. God's judgment. Ministry gifts and callings. Fruitful ministry. And of course, contained in the rod that budded is the revelation of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. When a lifeless body, come on, somebody, came back, come on, fully whole by the supernatural power of God. So there's a lot of depth to this particular passage of scripture. However, here's where I want to set. My heart is wanting to camp for just a little while. My heart here is to share with you something that I hold to very, very personally and dearly, and I study uh, quite regularly, is to understand submission to spiritual authority it's a biblical principle that i think we need to expound upon more often so one of the more difficult things or lessons or messages that i have taught in the last few years was this past wednesday night because in the midst of our strengthening our marriage series and lesson number two that was lesson number three for us was the responsibility of the wife and the author of the book camp to on the exhortation from the Apostle Paul, first in Ephesians 5 and also in Colossians, but also in 1 Peter chapter number 3, which would be Peter's epistle, uh, that, that a wife is to be submissive to her husband. And so in the context of strengthening our marriage, we did our very best. I did my very best to minister that word. But it's a difficult thing for a male to stand in front of a, some, uh, uh, a lot of ladies. You know, I could come in the week before and be like, Oh, man, man we got to love the wife as Christ loved the church. But it feels all together different to come to that same pulpit and go, Women, you gotta submit to your husband. Are you hearing me today? So you can understand that it was a challenging message. Right? But, and, and why is that, Pastor Brown? Because the cultural's emphasis on equality in every spectrum of society has bled over into the church and into the home. So let me, I shared this, and this is this is not that this is not a repeat of that message. We're going far beyond that today. But equality and value must be distinguished from rank and responsibility. Come on, somebody. You're just as valuable. I was in the military for nine years, and I was just as valuable, intrinsic value to God and also valuable in the context of my role that I played in the military, though I was not a four-star general, right? But I carried myself that I had value, so rank and responsibility is the means of which spiritual authority is both realized and recognized. And that's what I'm trying to talk to you about today. I want to I just take you and lead you into this because there is a word from the Lord attached to this. The kingdom of God has always had structural, organized, a spiritual rule and rank. He always has because God is not out of order. Matter of fact, if you'll see in the Genesis where it says that darkness was upon the face of the deep, some of the people see that in context that there was chaos upon the earth. And God is a God of order. And in the very Genesis, he began to take what was chaotic and bring order to it. Right? And so God chose the patriarch families and heads of the families that had rank and responsibility and also authority. We just read God chose Moses and Aaron The Levites to minister to the Lord and to stand before the people. Rule and rank, authority, both realized and also recognized. The 12 tribes, there was always patriarchal leaders. They typically are described as heads of families within the 12 tribes. When you follow the children of Israel into the kingdom years, you'll recognize that God had chosen the tribe of Judah. How many know God has the right to choose? And he chose Judah. And from Judah, he chose David. He rejected The tribe of Benjamin, from which Saul had been chosen initially, God said, I've rejected him. God can reject and choose as he sees fit. And he chose David. But from David, then there was a successive lineage of kingly leadership, whether they were all godly or not, we certainly will recognize that's not true. But they were all successive in their generations of following that paternal pattern. And so in the Gospels, we see that Jesus had many disciples. He had throngs of people I preached about last week, throngs of people pressing upon him. But of that masses of humanity, he chose 12. And of the 12, he chose three. And there were times he sent the 12, but there were times he expanded it, and he sent 70 to go in front of him and to minister on his behalf. And then when we leap out of the Gospels into the formation of the New Testament church, beginning in Acts and carrying into the epistles, we see that God had the 12 apostles that brought leadership to the church. From there we have prophets, which would be foundation on the kingdom of God. And I'm going to add evangelists, and I'm going to put that in the context of the church, the overall church, because most of their ministry is itineration, and that's apostles and prophets evangelists. But in the local assembly, God has an order of rank and responsibility, he has pastors and teachers with elders and deacons, and some of which ascribe elders and pastors to be the same. And then as I study the Word, I see that there are additional leaders within the fellowship. And then beyond this, I also see in the home. I believe in that natural order that we see in the Word of God, where Paul alludes to in 1 Corinthians 11, and he says that the man was created first, so there is a natural order. The husband is the head, then the wife, and then the children. All of this espouses, here's what it does, it espouses that there's a very delicate balance of rank and responsibility that's functioning with and under spiritual authority. I mean, know, all authority comes from God, right? And then Jesus said, all authority's been given unto me, both in heaven and of earth, right? He received it from his Father, amen, and he's conferred measures of authority unto us and here's the reality and i'm not really going into this today but i'll draw your attention to it as believers in christ we all have special unique privileges i recognize that and we all are given access to the holy presence of god and today thank god because of the blood of the of jesus amen and i recognize that and all of us can come before him unto god we are kings and priests and we all have some measure of spiritual power and authority we're all to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy amen And so, but at the same time, God expects each of us to be submitted unto him first and to others, number two. And submission is not a dirty word. I know you can fly the yellow flag with the serpents coiled up and say, don't tread on me. So I'm not talking about that kind of oppression and tyranny. I'm talking about willful submission to a divine rule of Scripture Where God has established a principle of faith. So let's go a little bit farther. In the local assembly, that's where I want to camp for just a moment. We have the pastor, the masculine male figure that stands in front of you here today. Who is submitted willfully to a governing body of other ministry leaders. Right? And then we also have staff pastors who have some measure of delegated authority that they have taken from the pastor that's been given to them to lead in their ministries we also have deacons who actually serve more like elders in our church but deacon means servant but in their service to god they aid and they serve the pastor and they have they have delegated authority vested from the church from the structure of our government and i think it's almost akin to the priests and the levites but we won't go there today but we also have other leaders that may not have titles, but they're just men and women who lead others and serve others well. Come on, somebody. And the greatest measure of leadership is servant leadership. Jesus himself said, he said, I, I came to serve. Uh, and, and if the Son of Man comes to serve, that's what we do as well. And then we also have a vested measure of authority in the congregation as a whole. Sometimes the congregation can be an heir, as we see with the children of Israel. And certainly sometimes leaders can be in error. So it's not foolproof. What we need is the wisdom of God. I believe also continuing this, we have in the home. We have the husband, the wife, and the children. Rank, responsibility, all equally valuable in the eyes of God. But all have responsibilities and roles that God gives blessing to when everybody is functioning with and under The authority that he's conferred upon each structure of faith, whether it be the home or the church or the church in general. Come on, somebody. I mean, are y'all out there today? All right, so I'm going somewhere. I'm laying the foundation. I'm, I'm 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 a builder today, and I feel good about it. So there's an unspoken truth about authority in this context. And here's what it is. Authority affects the anointing. It actually even determines the anointing. Listen, and and I'm going to make a statement now that I'm going to clarify for you in just a moment of time. But you can't be in authority unless you're under authority. I'm going to clarify that for a moment. And maybe many of you don't even understand what I mean by the word anointing. Typically, that word means to rub upon or smear as if with a holy oil. And for you and I, we understand that to be that consecrated favor and blessing of Almighty God. It might be spiritual gift. It might be spiritual empowerment. Sometimes it's just walking in the confidence of God. Come on, he anoints my head with oil. Sometimes it's reflected in the joy of my life when everything's around me is downcast and disheartened. But I'm walking in joy because i got the anointing of God upon my life. Come on, somebody. It's the anointing. And so authority affects the anointing. When you and I fail to honor the structure of leadership or rulership in both the church and the home, you will be numbered with Korah, the rebels, whose rebellion was actually against the Lord. Because God is the God of authority, rank, and responsibility. Korah rebelled against Aaron, and he usurped, his re- attempted to usurp, his rule, and his responsibility. Let me tell you, in your journey of faith, you can't be in faith if you aren't submitted to spiritual authority. I'm just going to tell you right now, you can't be. You can never have God's fullest blessing. Well, y'all didn't shout me down on that, so that means I need to repeat it. In your journey of faith that all of us are on, you can't truly be in faith if you aren't submitted to spiritual authority. You can never have God's fullest blessing, His favor and His grace, because you've heard me say it a thousand times, because you can't have it your way. God designed this. God chose a method for His supernatural blessing to flow. And if you breach that, then there's going to be a breach in the blessing. And so, uh, here's what I've learned as a pastor of 28 years in the ministry. That I, I've been in the ministry a lot longer, but 28 years in full-time pastoral ministry. That I, when I'm introduced to new people, I try. I, I'm. I know some people call me gullible, and and I probably am in one sense because I'm not that person that's always trying to, uh, you know, believe bad about a person. I'd rather be believe good and hope for good in most people. But I can tell you there are many times over these many years that it doesn't take long if someone that I've met that might be new to our church that indicates that they might want to join our fellowship, I can typically know if that person will or will not connect to the heart of this church because they desire authority and they desire some ministry function yet without submission to the authoritative structure of this assembly. So they want to be vested. They want their gift to be recognized, but they don't want to be submitted to the authority of the house. And so one of the greatest revelations, let me tell you, one of the greatest revelations in the New Testament comes to us through the faith of a Gentile Roman centurion whose faith was so impactful that it caused even Jesus to marvel. When his servant, this particular centurion, and the account is written in two passages, both in Matthew's gospel, chapter 8, I think it is, uh, 7, or, and Luke maybe 8. I think Matthew 8 is what it is, and I think Luke 7. So he's got a servant in his house. His servant is sick. He's heard about Jesus. What do we mean by Gentile? That means that he is not of Jewish heritage, but he's heard about this roving rabbi that's got the supernatural power of God. And so Matthew says that he comes to Jesus. Luke says he sends, uh, you know, uh, what is it, an ambassade of some type or a gathering or some type of group of people to represent him and inquire if Jesus will come back to his house. And so we're going to play it in the first hand like he is actually there uh, with Jesus. And so he said, to, uh, he said, will you come to my house? And so probably surprising. He said, y'all come to your house. And so uh, as they're en route to the house... Uh, the man's heart begins to grow heavy as he begins to think about his house. And he thinks about the holiness of God, the holiness of this man, Christ, this man, Jesus. And he's troubled because he knows that he's holy. This man is holy. He's not holy. He's uh, This man's righteous. He's not righteous. And his heart rises within him. And he stops Jesus. Uh, and he says something to him uh, that, 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 that speaks to us today. He has a divine revelation. Here's what he said. He said, said, look, you don't even have to come. Stop this journey. Don't take another step forward because, he said, all you got to do is speak the word. That's why we say things like that around here. God, we just speak your word. He said, because I know if you clear your throat and open your mouth, then that which is inside of you, which is the word of God, will come out of you, and it will not return to you void. It will accomplish what you sent it forth into the earth to do and he said i know that's all you got to do and but then he gave clarification for what gave him the confidence to make that statement and it was his personal experience as a centurion in the roman army he said for i am and we often misquote this i am not a man in authority everybody wants to be in authority he said i'm a man under authority Oh, I'm preaching way better than y'all shouting right there because there is such a depth of divine revelation because you will never be in true authority unless you are first under authority. And he described his experiences. And he said, i got soldiers under me. I'm under authority all the way to Caesar. There is a progression of authority from the Roman Senate all the way to the Roman Caesar. All the way to procurators. All the way to kings. And now even to me as a centurion. Which means I'm in charge of a hundred men. And he said, I'm under their authority. But I'm over these men. And i say to one, go. And he goes. And to another, he goes. And he does that. And another comes to me. And he comes to me. And he said, that's why you ain't got to do anything else. Don't take another step towards my house. Don't get any more of the dust under your feet. No, no, no. Don't take another step. Just open your mouth and speak the word. And my servant will supernaturally be healed by the power of Almighty God. Hallelujah. And that confession of faith. I mean, no, confession of faith is important. When it reflects the true faith that's in your heart. And so when that happened, Jesus stopped you see Jesus marvel at two things, two, two and then one. Two is, I'm going to share with you the first. The first is unbelief. <laughs> he will call it out of you in a second because he sees your heart. He, will, he, will, he marvels at unbelief, but he also marvels at genuine faith. And this is one of the only accounts in all the word of God where Jesus turned and said, <laughs> I've been walking with you guys, you fishermen from Galilee for, t- for about two years now and i hadn't seen faith like this anywhere but in this roman centurion isn't that powerful so here's where i want you to i want to, i want to show you a couple things here today so i believe that when you recognize that you are under authority and you willfully submit to a structure of faith for you and your family and you walk in harmony with and obedience to the rule and rank of that structure of faith that that's the place of divine anointing I believe because it flows from the head to the body, come on somebody, and to all that are in associated with the body, God's favor and blessing from a place of submission to the will of God, submission to spiritual authority, you now gain your authority. And so once you submit to authority, you, be in, you get empowered in authority. And now guess what? You and I can speak the word of faith as well. And when people challenge you about what well, well, gives you the right to speak the word of it's because I'm submitted to authority. To the Lord's authority, because I'm submitted to authority, and then I receive some measure of His authority. Come on, somebody. Amen and amen. Now listen, again, I want to go further and take it into the family for a moment of time. Again, this is why it is imperative for families to function in harmony with the will of God. Children should be submitted and respectful to the parents. I do believe this, wives should be submitted and respectful to their husbands. And the husbands ought to be submitted to ministry leaders in the church collectively because that allows the blessing to flow because there's favor and blessing available for all and look what this says here in hebrews towards the church collectively so that's what the church said this is not even a pastoral epistle but in hebrews chapter number 13 you read it there obey those that have the rule over you so i told you the other night ladies i said the word submissive and obey uh, tragically is misused out of context but it's not just for ladies in the household it's for the kingdom of god men are expected to obey those that have the rule over them and submit themselves because those of us that have some measure of leadership, you know what we're doing? We're watching for your soul. And we're gonna give account before God one day. And we wanna do with joy and not with grief. And I grieve, I grieve for a number of things. I, I grieve when men fail to take their responsibility to be the head of their house, I also grieve when I see women usurp a man's authority. Because when she used a man's authority, the true flow of that blessing can't come upon them. so it grieves me before God as a spiritual leader because I know that when all are submitted in the right structure of faith, that divine anointing can flow upon the head of Jesus, onto ministry leaders, upon to the church as a whole, and upon individual families in the church. God's got enough anointing for us all. I'm talking about the God that when the children, uh, remember that in the days of Elijah with the woman and the oil, the cruise of oil did not fail. Let me tell you, God's cruise of oil won't fail either. He's got enough anointing to pour on the head of all of us so that we can walk in the favor and the blessing of Almighty God. Man, I could shut it down today and go home and say, I've been in church today. Because I value these things because I know of the potential of favor that can come upon both individuals and families, and the church as a whole, this assembly, when we're submitted unto God. So here's what leaders must have: spiritual leaders, you must have a clear and concise calling that's been validated by other leaders. We need other people. I'll come back to that one in just a second. They're not quite there yet. And so we must have fire in our censer. And we must burn, thank you, Dr. Braswell, for that, amen. He understands. And burn the incense of intercession on behalf of the people. I burn the incense on behalf of this church family. Just, I'm just going to tell you, the most important interaction that I have with you is not our fellowship together. It's the fact that when I get alone with God in prayer, and I told you a couple of weeks ago, I learned the power of intercession as a young man. And I'm confident in the the anointing that's upon my life to be able to intercede because I see God's leaders interceding. So I stand in the gap and I intercede on behalf of the people, burning incense in my censer before the Lord for God's grace to be realized in your life. Because, listen to this, as spiritual leaders, we have limited authority that's been delegated to us from Christ. And we, too, must be fully submitted to the structure of an ecclesiastical body that we're connected to and also other spiritual and ministry leaders. It's good. That's how and where the blessing flows. Mm-hmm. Praise the Lord. And let me say this. As in the days of Korah, you can't do what you're not called to do. Just accept it. I started to call this message, stay in your lane, bro. But I didn't think y'all could handle that. You can't un- listen to this. and I, It's going to get good at the very end. If it hasn't been good yet, it's gonna, I'm not there yet. I'm not even going to look at my clock. You cannot usurp the anointed leadership in your life and walk in God's blessing. So you say, Pastor, what should I do? I'm going to give you five things real quickly, not preach on them long, just get them in your heart real quickly. You got to know your calling. You just got to know your gift and your calling before the Lord. You got to know your role, your responsibility. Other people will validate the call of God in your life, right? Even if you think one thing, you need to expose that to others. And listen and heed their counsel. So, you got to know your calling. So, listen to others. It's important because it affects the whole. Number two, once you've determined your calling and your place and your rank and the responsibility and where you're at, you got to discipline yourself. <laughs> to submit yourself before God, I'm telling you, you got to hate your flesh. You got to crucify pride. Right? You got to say, you know what? He. He's the potter. I'm just the clay. Whatever vessel he wants to shape me, that's what I want to be shaped into. Humble yourself before God and submit to him. You can't submit to others if you don't submit to him first. Oh, there's a good word out there. Come on. Number three, don't speak against those who have rule against you. I do believe in that. Be very cautious. Choose your words very, very carefully. It doesn't mean that you can't have interaction, especially if there's been abuse or if there's misuse or there's tyrannical behavior, even in the home or in the church. It doesn't mean that there's not some means of interaction and discussion. But don't speak against because the Bible plainly warns us of when people murmur against. Number four, you have to be under authority to have any real authority. You just have to be. Now, listen, you can walk around and make certain claims, but it won't be truly validated. I'm just telling you, because God is not going to breach his structure for you. The flow of anointing, he's not going to break the order that he set in the Genesis just for your sake. He's going to expect you to conform to the will of God. He's not conforming to you. So in order for you to truly have any sacred anointing, and I'm telling you, it's a sacred anointing. I know that a lot of the church, there are churches all across this community today that don't have any true understanding. I'm not trying to say that we do above all others, but we do above a lot, and that is of the sacred presence of Almighty God that can come along upon a believer in Christ Jesus, releasing the favor and the fragrance of the living Christ, and we walk in that supernatural power. Number five, very quickly, is to repent. Repent. Listen, if you have been, there's been a breach and the Spirit of God deals with your heart and, and you realize that you failed in recognizing and submitting to God and also to true spiritual authority, repent. There's a lot of reasons why. A lot of reasons why people have a struggle to, to submit to authority. A lot of times, especially if I didn't get to go into detail with this, but ladies in that context, many of them experienced a lot of abuse. From a leader in the home or somewhere else, And so it's a challenge for them to trust the heart of somebody that's got their best interest in heart. But it can be no excuse. Even as challenging as it might be, God still calls us to principles of faith. Come on, somebody. So I'm closing now because there's more to this story. Korah. Korah's rebellion stands out. It's actually mentioned by the apostle Jude. The gainsaying of Korah, King James English. It's mentioned in the Psalms. Korah's name is not mentioned, but Dathan and Abiram or Byram is mentioned when the earth opened up. I mean, it's a very unique passage that the judgment of God was so severe that the earth opened up. I want you to think about that. The earth literally, I believe in the literal word of God unless the context tells me differently. The Bible says that the earth opened up and swallowed those men and their families, and they went down into the pit and closed up behind them. But there's more to this. There's a revelation. So Korah, who was mentioned primarily in Numbers, a couple other passages he's not mentioned as primarily, and it's Dathan and Abiram, but Korah was of the tribe of a Levite, of Levi, excuse me, of the tribe of Levi, particularly of the family of the Koahite. And I mentioned that to you several weeks ago. Does anybody know you don't remember that? Don't shake your head like you do remember that because you know you don't. But when I was preaching about ministry service before the Lord, Earlier in the book of Numbers, chapters 3 and 4 and 5 all the way to 6, there was a division of the Levites. Three different families were given three different responsibilities in serving the priesthood. Maybe that helps you just a little bit. So their responsibility, here's what their responsibility was. Their responsibility was to move the tabernacle furniture that was inside the tabernacle. The things that they couldn't see... Only the priest was given privy to those things, and only the high priest could go behind the veil. Y'all know that, correct? Stay with me on this, because we're going to wrap it around. It's going to get very good in your heart here today. And, and you follow this. The priest, whenever it came time to pack up and move, anybody remember that? It was called the transitionary uh, tabernacle. They were to move, and the journeys tell us they would camp. They would camp, then they would go. Camp and journey, camp and journey. And whenever they got ready to journey, they had to gather everything up. They couldn't just haphazardly toss it in the back of a rider truck and head down the road. Come on, somebody. So it had to be, it was, it was these, were, these were sacred instruments. And so the Lord had told Moses to tell the priest, you go in in front of the tribe of Lehi, Levi, the Kohites, and you make sure that you cover all the instruments so that when they come in, they will not touch them and die. They'll be totally covered by fabric. That was their responsibility. And once the journey ended and they set the tabernacle back back up, they would simply then move out of that holy place. That was their only access point to it at that particular time. The priest would go in and uncover it. And then they would assist the priest in whatever the priest needed in offering sacrifice to God and ministering to the people. And so their access to the holy place was now prevented for only the priest could go into the veil of the holy place, the tabernacle. Come on, somebody. Are you all out there? So Korah... Moses, by divine revelation, recognizes he desires the priesthood. And Korah and the others choose to usurp the authority of Moses and Aaron and the sons of Aaron. And God's judgment, as we've read, was swift, wasn't it? But if you will read closer to the text, you will reveal that when the earth opened up, it didn't just swallow up those four men, it swallowed up other leaders and families, their families. It's very harsh. It seems to indicate that just before the earth opened uh, to swallow up the rebels, Dathan and Abiram, I keep switching his name back and forth, but that's all right, came to the door of their tent. Read it on your own. They came to the door of the tent. But it's not mentioned that Korah came to the door of the tent, so it's most likely that he remained in his tent. And the Bible says in the book of Deuteronomy, repeating this story, it says Dathan and his household was swallowed up. So the household of Dathan and Abiram was swallowed up. But when in Korah's tent, it would be only the men that he influenced. So if you read between the lines, in the absence of the mentioning of the family of Korah, we presume his family survived somehow. And so, okay, he's like, wait a minute. Did they survive? So, so Dathan's children were swallowed up and Abiram's children were swallowed up. But Numbers 26, 11 confirms this. It plainly says, notwithstanding, the children of Korah died not. So now we're starting to see something form here of a Revelation. The sons of Korah probably are not small children that are being re- represented here, but they're probably teenage or young adults who have already perhaps even older than 20 had entered into the ministry. They somehow chose to separate themselves from the rebellion of their father. Now, if you read the Jewish Midrash, the Jewish Midrash said that they, they fell in the pit. And I think the Jewish Midrash is, uh, is legend because they said, but as they're falling, ah, free-falling into darkness, they repent, and God makes a ledge pop out on the edge of the, uh, of, the, of, the gate, of the opening, and they land there, and they're extracted, and they survive. I don't believe it was the case. I believe that the sons of Korah recognized that what their father was doing in usurping the authority of the priest was rebellion against God. And because it was rebellion against God, they made a strong decision that they were not going to follow their father into that rebellion before God. And they survived. They heeded the word of God, and as doing so, their ministry endured for generations. So they continued as Levites ministering to the people and serving the tabernacle in their appointed place. And when you read the Word of God, you'll find them for 400 years, generations later. Let me tell you this, and y'all follow this with me closely. I'm, I'm on the downward slope right now. But the best is still yet to come. That's good when you say Jesus said you saved the best for last. Come on, somebody. Right? Now, stay with me. So, so let's jump 400 years in time to when, listen to this, David is preparing resources for the house of the Lord. He can't build the, the, the temple, but he's brought the ark and a tabernacle or a tent to Jerusalem where I believe the tabernacle, the real tabernacle, was at Shiloh at that, maybe not at Shiloh, I don't know where it was at at that particular time. But nonetheless, he calls the tent he pitches for at the house of God because he's establishing Jerusalem as the place where the house of God is to be built. And during this time, the sons of Korah now are serving in differing roles, including gatekeepers as well as chain worship leaders. So now they're leading in worship. Before they were just carrying the tabernacle, but now look at this with me. 1 Chronicles 6 and 34. We're going to show this. It's the revelation. 1 Chronicles 6 and 31, I'm sorry, says this. And these, these are they whom David set over the service of song in the house of the Lord after that that the ark, ark had rest. Because the ark would no longer have to move. And if they didn't have to move and all the furniture didn't have to move, then those men would have been out of a job. But they switched them some. They set them over service in the song of the house of the Lord. Let's read the 32nd verse. And they ministered before the dwelling place of the tabernacle of the congregation was singing until Solomon had built the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. And then they would wait on their office according to their order. And if you know anything about that, that means that during that time period, they had enough Levites that you didn't have to serve continuously, but you would only serve at expected times during the year, and you would journey for the Kohites lived up in the hill country of Galilee, and they would journey to Jerusalem at their appointed time and serve, and their service now, because the ark is not moving, their service is they are doorkeepers in the house of God and that they are worshiping, they're leading worship in the house of the Lord. We say, well, how do we know it was them? We'll go to the 33rd verse. Because here's the other, These are they that waited, of the sons of the Kohites. And so, of the sons of the Kohites, now go back to cha- uh, chapter 6, verse 22. Well, who were of the sons of the Kohites? Korah and his sons. So you can see the picture there, so that the sons of Korah survived the judgment of God. They were not judged because they somehow separated themselves from the rebellion of Korah and Dathan and Abiram, and they chose not to usurp the authority. They were contented in being who God called them to be. Are you out there? And they continued in ministry all the way from the wilderness journey to the time of judges, prophets, and kings, through David and Solomon's reign and beyond, and they kept the charge. And they were in some measure of authority because they were under authority. They were okay with not being the priest because God had chosen them to be a Levite. And they just said, God, I just want to be who you call me to be. And what's unknown to a lot of us when you think about the Psalms, the 150 Psalms that are contained in the Word of God, did you know 11 of them are ascribed to Korah's sons? The descendants of the ones that chose not to follow in the rebellion of usurping God's authority. And now supernatural gifts are flowing in their life and they're pinning some of the most famous of songs that you've sung and you didn't know it. Because let me give you a couple of these just real quickly. Psalm 42 verse 1, as the deer panteth after the water brooks, so my soul thirsteth for the living God, comes to us as a song of Korah. Oh man, I'm preaching myself happy today. If you turn over to Psalm 46, how many of you have ever quoted this one? God is my refuge and strength. He's a very present help in the time of trouble. You thought you were quoting David, but you were actually quoting the sons of Korah, the generational succession to the one that rebelled against God by not submitting himself to God. Let's go a little bit farther. How many of you have ever done this before? Clap your hands, all you people. And shout unto God with the voice of triumph. And when you did, you thought you were celebrating with David when he was standing over Goliath's carcass in the valley of Elah. But no, you were you were singing a psalm penned by the sons of Korah who were rejoicing because they didn't usurp authority. They submitted to authority. And the anointing was still on their life. And they're writing poetic songs that have sustained generations and generations of, be, of believers that clap their hands. We shout unto God with the voice of triumph we stand content in him because of the gifting of God upon those men man that's good and in my prayer today unbeknownst to you I said God you make my tongue the pen of a ready rider comes to us from the pen of the sons of Korah but I've saved the best for last Psalm 84 verse 1 how lovely somebody ought to sing it other than me You say, Pastor, you're singing lovely in the eyes of God and the ears of God only. That's true. But I don't mind singing it. How lovely are the tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. Didn't we just sing a song a moment ago? How lovely are your tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. This was not from the pen of the prophet David. This was from the pen of the sons of Korah. And there's a revelation It's going to be revealed in closing this message to its finality. Let's read this psalm on down. King James, how amiable amiable are thy tabernacles. How beautiful are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. I want to turn to it in my Bible. I know it's on the screen, but I just want to turn to it just real quickly. I like to see it in black and white. My soul longeth, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. Somebody said, I wonder if a levite of the sons of Korah was serving by order in the tabernacle now. And he wasn't spending all of his time there. And he had to go home and then he would come back when his time of service. And maybe when he was back home in Galilee, his mind was still in Jerusalem. And he would say, even now, God, As he worshipped there in his home somewhere in Galilee, he said, Even now my heart and my flesh cries out for the living God. Oh, Jesus, come on, somebody. Let's read it farther. He said, The sparrow has found a house, the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even in your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, for they're still going to be praising you. Come on, somebody. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, and whose heart are the ways of them. Blessed is that man, for passing through the valley of Baca, make it a well, for the rain filleth the pools. Go down with me. There's something waiting that you haven't seen yet. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appears before God. Those that are submitted to God Get to come before the Lord in the role or the limited access point that they were giving in that time. He said, Oh Lord God, I'm contented. Hear my prayer and give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. You're my shield and would you look upon the face of my anointing. I'm telling you, you want the anointing and if you're not submitted unto God, you won't have the anointing. But when you are submitted unto God, you can lift up your eyes to the Lord and say, God, would you look upon me? I need a fresh anointing. You've anointed me previously but God, I need a fresh anointing today to be who you have called me to be and to walk by faith and not by sight. To be a bright and a shining light. To have joy and not despair. Come on, somebody. I got to have it. I got to have the fresh anointing. Let's go farther. <laughs> For a day Caleb you helped me a while ago when you prayed because you said it was David that penned these words because we all presume that it was. It was the sons of Korah. Look what he said. A day in your courts is he's he's saying man I only get 2 weeks but a day in his courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. A day in the presence of Almighty God with the Shekinah glory of God. Even if I can't go, Korah is saying, even if I can't go, the sons of Korah are saying, I don't need to be the priest. Just get me in the outer court. I'll just stand there and bask in the glory of an omnipotent God. Because did you know the tabernacle couldn't contain His glory? The temple could not contain His glory. He's much far and greater than any man-made edifice at all. His glory supersedes it. And he said, I'd rather, now catch these words and because there's where the divine revelation lies. The writer of the psalm said, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. Listen to this. He's looking back in time to 400 years earlier when his father fell into rebellion, and he said, I would rather serve as a Levite outside. I'm not the priest. I don't have to be the priest. I don't want to dwell in the tent of, 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 of rebellion against God. I want to submit myself to God. I I'll keep the gate, I'll carry the furniture, I'll sing the song, I'll dance before the Lord, I'll just do whatever He wants me to do than to dwell in the tent of disobedience before God. Come on, that's a good place to say amen. while you stand up? I think the worship team ought to come back and we ought to sing that song again as I close. Read the last two verses. Read the last two verses. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. He is and the Lord will give grace and glory. And when you're submitted unto God, He won't withhold any good thing from you. For the Lord of hosts and blessed is the man that trusted Him. Come on, somebody, amen. So here's how I close this message you can break every generational curse off of your family when you stop rebelling against God, when you submit to Him first. And then you find your place in the local body of believers and you submit to the. It's greater than us. It's greater than a pastor named Brown. It's greater than an apostle named Brassfield. It's greater. It's going all the way back to a man named Jesus who said, All authority in heaven and in earth has been given unto me. And your blessing is dependent upon whether you're submissive Unto my will for your life. Don't call me Lord and not do the things that I tell you to do. But if you want to walk in the fullness of my blessing. And my favor and my grace and my anointing and my gifting and my calling and my unction. And my supernatural presence. Then submit yourself to God. Be submitted to one another. Submit to the structure of the house. And let the anointing flow on your head. Come on somebody. Amen. Heads bowed and eyes closed before we sing for just a moment. Of time and Father, I've preached my heart out today. I've left it here. <laughs> the people may have come empty. They're gonna go full. I came full, God. I might go home empty, but I've left it here today. I've given them what you've given to me, God, to understand spiritual authority, submission. I don't want to be numbered with Korah in the rebellion. But I'm okay with being numbered with the sons of Korah Amen. in the submission and in the anointing if you're here today submission may have been something you struggled with you may be in the person that was abused or neglected you struggle with trusting people you struggle with trusting other leaders You struggle with just submitting yourself into God I'm just telling you you got to let it go pastor that's so easy for you to say I understand that I understand it you're called to submit to the Lord and in doing so you're called to submit to spiritual authority wherever you're at for there's where your healing lies there's where grace comes in It meets you at the point of your need. God ministers to you. He'll pour in healing oil and wine in your spirit. If you've been that person that you just have, you've just struggled to recognize spiritual leadership and spiritual authority and you just, you've been so hesitant to submit yourself, I want to challenge you today repent before the Lord. Did y'all hear that today? Repent before the Lord. Repent before Him today. When the people rebelled against the priest, Moses said, it's not against the priest, it's against the Lord. That's where all of our true rebellion lies. We're rebelling against the Lord. So I encourage you today, repent before the Lord. Nobody can do it for you. I can't come to you. I can't teach you into repentance. I can only expose to you the need and encourage you to repent before him. He's gracious unto you he's merciful unto you if you will humble yourself before him a broken and a contrite heart he will not in any way turn you away but he will put you in the structure of the flow of his anointing and I'm telling you you will rest comfortably under the shadow of his wings <laughs> hallelujah let's pray a prayer of repentance oh God forgive me all of us ought to just, God forgive me when I've sinned against you Forgive me, God, when I've spoken what I shouldn't have spoken. Forgive me when I didn't recognize your call and your gifting. Forgive me when I wasn't contented being who you had called me to be. And I thought I had to be somebody else. Forgive me when I didn't just rest and trust in the gift and the call of God that's on my life. Wash me today, God, because I want to be, Father God, numbered with the sons of Korah. I want to reject the rebellion of Korah so that I could be numbered with the sons of Korah. Come on, I feel the Lord in this house today. I feel a spirit of God in this room, the, the spirit of God, the spirit of the Lord. Listen, as we close, listen, that we're open. I open the altar up right now. You can come on. We're going to worship. we got to sing the psalm again. we got to. It's got to be embedded in your spirit, again and fresh and new. But listen, if you've been rebellious, be repentant. If you're repentant, you'll have the anointing. If you continue in rebellion... There's been no anointing for your life. I'm just telling you the truth. So today, today I encourage you. How about some of you just meet us here? I want to encourage you. I just believe something happens when we step out. We move out from where we're at. We move to the front. We advance into the presence of God. We get to be in His supernatural presence. I just encourage you. I've given you all I can give you. The rest is between you and the Lord. I'm going to get down. I'm going to stand in my place. I'm going to lift my hands. I'm going to worship as a son of Korah. But I want to encourage you to do the same. God is holy. Come on, I feel it right there. Y'all begin to sing. Let's worship the Lord together in this house right here. There's a spirit of unity in our church. Let's close our... I hate to even use the word close. God, we don't want to do anything that would grieve your spirit, quench your spirit. But we submit to you believe the spirit of unity was submission. We submit who we are, what we are, where we are. The curse of disobedience was proven to us today that if you were raised in a home or a tent of wickedness, you don't have to be numbered with that. You can separate yourself from it. And you can start a lineage of faith. Come on, we saw that, didn't we, church family? They chose not to dwell in that tent of wickedness. Even when it was the patriarch of the home. We don't know how old those boys were. What was in the family? They were just the sons of Korah. The children of Korah perished not. They somehow separated themselves from rebellion, wickedness, usurping. Father, it was my privilege to minister the word, but it's also my privilege to lead in prayer and repentance. I'm not ashamed to lead our church in repentance. I'm not ashamed to encourage them to ask the Lord for forgiveness. Repent. Repent there's been areas of your life where you've rebelled against God, that the Holy Spirit is just illuminated to you through this message today or beyond. Father, I thank you for the privilege of repentance. I believe that was what was unified among us. I don't believe that we came arrogantly before you today. We came in humility, submission, Brokenness. We stand in awe of you today, Lord God. Make your face to shine upon us. Change the the trajectory of families, God. Let, let, Let people catch that, God, as I pray and praying with them. Just change the trajectory from rebellion. Usurping, contention, and strife to blessing and anointing, favor, psalms, giftings, and callings, doorkeepers in the house of God, generational legacies left to endure, still sung about 3,000 years later. 3,000 years this song was penned 3,000 years ago and yet we sing it in this sanctuary today how lovely are your dwelling place is your dwelling place O Lord Almighty Father we have beholden the beauty of the Lord in this sanctuary today and we are moved by it I bless the people God if there's any, faith in my voice today. I just pray for them. I pray for them, Father. Make your face to shine upon them. The psalmist said, God, my head's anointed, but I need fresh anointing. Anoint their heads with fresh oil, the joy of gladness. Let them count the hours and the minutes till we come back together this evening An expression of faith and submission to one another. When we Shake somebody's hand or hug somebody's neck. Let us do so in a spirit of humility today. Let the very act of greeting one another be submitting to one another. Fulfilling the word of God today. So I love you. I feel honored to have been in this room. Thankful for this privileged opportunity, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said amen and amen and amen and amen. Listen, love one another.